Yeah. 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 Booming out in Sabonet like Lou Will. Six men like Lou Will. The Six Man Podcast. Okay, welcome back, folks, to the Sixth Man Podcast, solely focused on the National Basketball Association. Yours truly, Alex Moskowitz from the Emory Wheel Sports Section. And Aaron Perlstein from Fan Interactive. Okay, so this podcast will be broadcast on all platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. So today, we have a very special guest with us. ESPN reporter Ariel Hawani is the host of the Ariel Hawani MMA show on ESPN. He's also an NBA sideline reporter. He covered the Summer League. And he's also an NBA commentator. He commentated on his uh, on the Toronto Raptors' victory over the Golden State Warriors in the NBA championship. So, hello, Ariel. Hey, guys. How are you? Thank you for having me. Of course. Of course. Okay. So, we're going to start with our favorite segment, the question session. It's presented by ProVelocityBat.com. It will make you a better baseball player, period. There will be more homers, more consistent contact, and in turn, more college offers. It also strengthens hitters physically and improves their hand-eye coordination while also improving swing mechanics. Of the MLB rookie phenom Brandon Lowe of the Tampa Bay Rays, all-star and future Hall of Famer Chase Utley of the Philadelphia Phillies, and former Tigers hitting coach Don Slott have all used this product. It's the best hitting tool on the market. If you're a serious baseball player, you need one. Check out ProVelocityBat.com today. So, Ariel, so our first question is, given that you grew up in Montreal, Canada, City solely focused on the Montreal Canadiens, the Habs. When did you first become a fan of basketball? How did you get into it? Well, by the way, I'm very impressed that you guys have a sponsor for your, your opening segment. That's, that's a pretty big deal. So congratulations on that. Um, Thank you. Yeah, so, you know, I grew up in Montreal, as you said, and everyone in Montreal loves hockey. Of course, uh, hockey is the, the dominant sport by far. But for some reason, I was always drawn to basketball, and I think it was because my two older brothers really liked it as well. Um, this is, you know, late 80s, early 90s, when Michael Jordan was very popular, the shoes, the clothes, all that stuff. But I was never a Jordan fan. I was never a Chicago Bulls fan. Um, in around 1990, when I was eight years old, uh, we were in a shoe store, and uh, my brothers showed me Patrick Ewing's shoes. And they said, oh, yeah, these are cool shoes. And they were a little funky. They were a little they were a little bulky. But I was like, all right, these are cool. And they're like, yeah, this is a shoe for a guy named Patrick. Ewing. I didn't know who he was. And then I went and checked them out. And for some reason, I just fell in love with Patrick Ewing and the Knicks. And that just became my team. That became my favorite team. And once I really fell I'm in love with those that. guys. What's that? Yeah, I'm, so, I'm really sorry about that. Yes. I, no, I but, feel your pain. But we discussed the Knicks a lot, so. But you know, people don't realize like they're a laughing stock now. They're a joke. But in the '90s, they were a model franchise. Oh yeah, and, definitely. Uh, it was they were a really cool team to root for, and a very likable team, hardworking team. Um, and I just fell in love with all those guys: Ewing, Starks, Oakley, Xavier McDaniel. He was there for a brief period, and uh, so that's that's really what drew me to the sport. And because I was such a big fan of them, you know, I wanted to play basketball in high school and. Uh, I later played two two years in the Maccabi games, and so it was a really it was really, it really okay. it really became my my favorite sport, and uh, I loved everything about it. 
Okay. So how did you get into, you know, sports journalism, uh, commentating on sports? Uh, what led you to this career path? So I used to watch everything under the sun. And uh, of course, this is before the internet, but I would consume all kinds of sports media, whether it was on TV, radio, magazines, newspaper. And I remember being in the ninth grade in English class, Herzliya High School in Montreal. And um, I was reading Sports Illustrated. And uh, it was one of these, uh, these, these editions where um, they were ranking the best schools in America for X, Y, and Z. And there was a little blurb which stated that Syracuse University was the best school for uh, sports broadcasting. Mm -hmm. And a light mm -hmm. went off in my head. I was like, wow, um, you can actually like go to school and learn this kind of thing. And they named a few uh, notable people who went there, Bob Costas, Marv Albert. And at that moment, I decided I'm going to go to Syracuse University and I'm going to be a sports broadcaster. And I used to watch, you know, the, the, the broadcasts and uh, I would – I would study the broadcasters more than the actual players. I would I would be enamored with the broadcasters. And so when I got to Syracuse in 2001, for the first time in my life, I, I realized that I was surrounded by a lot of people who wanted the same thing that I did, who had the same dream that I had, which was to become a sports broadcaster. And so um, I never really liked to follow the, you know, the, the crowd. I always kind of like to do my own thing. And um, in 2001, when I got there, I remember telling my parents that uh, there's this sport called mixed martial arts that's going to be very popular in 10 years. I have a feeling it's going to be mm -hmm. mainstream in 10 years, and there aren't that many people who cover it. So I want to be the guy. I want to be the main guy covering it so that once the sport becomes mainstream, I'll be positioned as the guy. So instead of doing uh, you know, a traditional sports show in college, I did a, a mixed martial arts radio show in the student station. Um, but very early on, no one was listening to the show. In fact, it was uh it was really just my mom and my sister it was uh it was on <laughs> 8 a.m. on a on a saturday morning so no one was listening back then but i would get big guests like i would write to people write to fighters commentators uh managers and they would come on the show um and the the phone that i had at the station it was in the student um center couldn't make outgoing phone calls so hmm. my mom or sister who at the time was 10 and uh, living in Montreal, they would call the guests and then call me on conference. So they would pretend to be like my producer and then call me on conference and, and <laughs> patch us through. Yeah, that's how bootleg the whole thing was. Um, but I love doing it. I did it for three years. And that's kind of how the whole thing started. Yeah, that's awesome. I feel like that's esports like today. I feel like that's really going to start taking off. Yeah, I, I would yeah, argue. Like, that not, it, uh, I would argue it's uh, already taken off. That it's no, already a big deal. What'd you say? I would argue it's already a big deal that it's already arrived. Right, right. So, I mean, <clears throat> given that, like, you're from Canada and, you know, you follow the Raptors' reign to the title, do you think, like, now with, you know, Kawhi out, do they still have enough to figure it out or they should, you know, kind of blow it up? I don't know about blow it up, but I uh, I definitely think that they're a much worse team. And it's unfortunate because it, it felt like they couldn't even celebrate the championship. Like, how often does it happen where a team – finally wins a championship. It's yeah, a, yeah. a gigantic moment in their history. And the star leaves, you know, three weeks later. And now it just right. kind of feels weird. Like I see, you know, I, I see the players celebrating and I saw the thing where Drake had the the, the, the trophy at OVO Fest. And it's like, it's not the yeah. same. Like there's no chance you guys are going to repeat. There's no chance you're 
I don't even think they're going to be a player in the Eastern Conference. And it's unfortunate. I think they have a good team. Um, and I definitely think they're a playoff team, of course, probably top five. And there's probably something to be said for a team who's, you know, made it all the way to the finals, won the finals, even if their star isn't there. Like, there's just something that you learn from that process. So I still think they'll be a tough out. But yeah, I, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't bet on them being a contender or, you know, making it to the finals. I saw what Kevin Durant, do you see what Kevin Durant said yesterday? Yeah, the, it's the one time they're ever going to yeah. be in the finals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that was a bit That's of a low blow. But, <laughs> but, you know, understandable considering they cheered when he got injured. So, yeah, I think yeah, they'll be yeah, top five, yeah. but I wouldn't suggest blowing it up because they still have a nice team there. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I cite regularly when Aaron brings up the possibility of them, make, of them missing the playoffs that they went 17-5 and five without Kawhi Leonard last year during his rest days. And in no way am I arguing that they are a better team without Kawhi Leonard. But the fact of the matter is, they they showed last year that they were able to cope without him, and that they still had the pieces around him to succeed and to win ball games in the regular season. Also, I think they have a great defensive backbone, so I think they'll definitely make the playoffs. Like you said, I think really in that six to four range, like you like you mentioned, yeah. is where they will end up. But I'm really intrigued to see, you know, who steps up. Does Pascal Siakam take that next step? Mm-hmm. You know, does he become the guy who's averaging 25 a game instead of the 17 that he averaged this year? So, given his immense talents, I think he could definitely take that leap. But I mean, I argue that you know their projected starting lineup right now of Lowry, Powell, Ananobi, Siakam, and um, <clears throat> Marcus Saul that te- that starting lineup last year averaged 56 points per game. So you know, like you said, I do I do agree with the defensive backbone, but um, if they can't find a way to score the ball, score 100 points per game, I think it's going to be really tough for them, especially with the East improving this year. Yeah, that's the thing. The East has improved. I think Philly getting Al Horford was huge. Um, oh, we disagree. No, what? you disagree. I disagree. Aaron agrees with you. But I personally think losing Jimmy Butler and replacing him with Al Horford will hurt their team because there'll be, there will be less spacing and less pace to run with Ben Simmons. Because if you play Al Horford at the four, he's not a great shooter. He's, you know, 33. He doesn't have the movement skills like he did at Florida, running up and down with Joe Kim Noah. So really, in this NBA, he's a stretch five who can who's capable of knocking down the three and capable of guarding the four and the five. So I have significant question marks about whether he will actually be able to play alongside Joel Embiid and they'll be able to like coexist and whether it will vault them ahead of the Bucks because the Bucks are the real competition in the East. Yes, but uh, the one thing that I think you're, you're um, overlooking and everything that you said is on point and it's great analysis, but he's a winner and he's a great locker room guy. And I don't know if you could say the same for Jimmy Butler, just That's given That's their That's respective true. reputation. So I feel like he's the kind of veteran leader that they haven't had in the last couple of years since they made the leap into being you know, somewhat of a contender. Um, Butler is just not that guy. And so you, you, you trade Butler, essentially you're replacing Butler for a guy who everyone likes, everyone respects, everyone listens to, has been there before, took a Hawks team to the conference finals, took uh, the Celtics to game seven of the conference finals and, and they were a depleted team. I just think that that's going to be a huge, a huge addition for them. I see what you're saying about Butler, no doubt about it. 
but I like that addition very much. Yeah, and I mean, I argued a lot of times in our episodes that the big thing that it gives them is the versatility, like just the different units that they could put out there. Now that you have like a starting caliber center that would probably start for 29 other teams, so Embiid can get that rest he needs for the playoffs. I mean, you saw like against the Raptors, when Embiid was out of the game, they did not have any kind of offensive system. You know, it was so yeah. stagnant. And I think getting Al Horford, someone who's who screams uh, efficiency, um, allowing Embiid to have those rest days and not put so much on his back, I think that's the big part that's that's really good for me. Yeah, Okay. Oh, for cool. sure. So enough with the Sixers. We have one pressing question for you. Okay. How many phones does Adrian Wojnarowski huh. have? I believe he has two. I've seen him hold two um, with my own okay. eyes. Um, <laughs> he, he might have more. Uh, he is incredible. He's prolific. He's also one of the nicest guys. Like I see him at the so ESPN is they call it a campus in Bristol, Connecticut. Uh, it really is like a university campus. It's gigantic. It's it's like this sports wonderland, and like everywhere you turn. There's like, oh, there's that guy. There's that guy. It's like the commercials. And I often see him at the uh, the cafeteria and he has both phones. He's always checking his phones, but he always asks me how I'm doing. I had an opportunity to meet his son who's a big MMA fan and just a very down to earth, super nice, very hardworking guy. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's incredible what he's done and how he dominates. Like I've never see, seen someone dominate a beat quite like he does. And it's because it's he, he works his butt off. Twitter, it's, it's something else. You know, he... In a, one minute, it has thousands of retweets, thousands of likes. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah, he's amazing. So, I mean, we can get into more general NBA questions. Um, what are your, like, biggest takeaways and reactions and predictions from the free agency, like the crazy free agency we saw? Well, yeah, it was <laughs> it was unbelievable to watch, especially that first day. And I love the fact that they moved it from midnight to 6 so that the whole thing could yeah. play out. It was a Sunday. It was just perfect theater for the NBA. Um, another smart move that... They, they they did and that you know they just continue to be ahead of the curve um obviously as a Knicks fan very disappointed um mm-hmm. when they traded Porzingis I said all right let's wait till July and see you know what we get out of this given the fact that they now had the two max slots they end up getting nothing you can tell me all you want about Julius Randle it's just not <laughs> what we had in mind <laughs> we all thought it was opening the door for KD and Kyrie and they struck out and now they just kind of, all right, I guess they rebounded by not overreacting and not giving, yeah. you know, like uh, these max deals to Jimmy Butler or whatever that would not have helped them in any regard or to right. Marcus cousins. But this is not what we had in mind. There's, there's no doubt about that. Um, You know, like if I think back four months ago, um, you know, I was dreaming of Zion. I was dreaming of KD Kyrie and, None of it came to fruition. I'm happy with RJ. I'm happy that they got a top three pick and didn't fall to four or five or six like Atlanta or Chicago, but Cleveland. Um, but this is not what we had in mind. So that obviously that was a, a, a bit of a crushing blow, but it was just fascinating to see like Kyrie go to the Nets along with KD. That was a gigantic story. Who would have thought um, 10 years ago that the Nets would beat the Knicks out? in free agency and the same with the Lakers and the Clippers that they get Kawhi and Paul George um, and not, and and not the Lakers. Uh, Anthony Davis finally going to the Lakers was huge. The Horford deal I thought was huge as well. Um, But I thought, you know, for the most part, like you weren't seeing, like there was that, that 
free agency, I think it was 2016, where like guys like Timofey Mozgov were getting crazy deals, and mm-hmm. it was just absurd. I th- I thought you didn't really see anything like that, where you were like, "What? They overpaid for this well, guy?" Harrison really? Barnes. Harrison Barnes got a crazy. Oh, also, deal. Corey Joseph. Yeah, Corey Joseph. I didn't yeah. even know about this. But when we were previewing or grading every off season, every off season, every team's off season, and I was commenting on Corey Joseph, Aaron pulls up his contract, and I was thinking. You know, when he said three years, I'm thinking three years, 18 million, backup point guard to De'Aaron Fox. That's a good deal. He's a good solid player. Aaron pulls up three years, $37 million for Corey Joseph. Fair. I was Although like, last, oh uh, my uh, God, what? But, but that's like one or two. Three years ago, right. you know, every backup was getting like $50 million. Oh, yeah, we, right. saw, we saw Chandler Parsons, all those guys. That yeah. year, it was insane. Bismack Biombo got 17 a year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so yeah. there's always going to be a couple here or there. By the way, I like the Kings. I actually think that the Kings are starting to like turn things around slowly but surely. But yeah, no, I agree. I think letting Willie Colley Stein go for that like that little. Probably wasn't the smartest move in giving Dwayne Dedman a big contract, but you know Bagley, Buddy Heald, Darren Fox is, is an unbelievable young core. Yeah, and and remember when they traded Demarcus, everyone was like, "What? You know, like you're not really getting that yeah, much right. back." Heald was a nice little prospect, but it seemed to be a major blow for the franchise. And uh, you know, credit, you know, Vladi Divac has been has been uh, criticized a lot, and a lot of it has been uh, warranted. But I think they're actually moving in the right direction finally. Right. So like going back to what you said about the Knicks, what we what I always try to remind our listeners is the fact that like every team has a line that they have to hit. You know, you have $70 million in cap space, but you can't go into the next year with $70 million. You had to right. hit some kind of a salary cap hit. And yeah. I really like what they did. Uh, I think they got a lot of trade assets. I don't think any of these guys are going to like, I don't think Taj Gibson, Reggie Bullock, Wayne Ellington will be on the team by the end of the year. I think these are, these are all the guys that are going to be looked looked upon really favorably by all these contenders like the Bucks, who just need shooting off the bench and all these other teams um, at the trade down line. And maybe they can get a mid first round pick or something like for that. Exactly. So yeah. that's why I really like. Well, you, but, but here's the thing. You like what they did because they just didn't screw up. But, and by that, right. I mean like we all expect the Knicks to be the Knicks and Oh, panic. And again, like give a max deal uh-huh. to a Jimmy Butler or DeMarcus cousins. But we all were sort of, and, and I know they never really came out and said it, but they always sort of hinted at it. James Dolan hinted at it. Like, this was supposed to be the summer where the ship finally turned around. Like, this was all leading up right. to this point. And when you give away KP for nothing, like, I mean, come on. Dennis Smith Jr., with all due respect, is, is, it doesn't have the ceiling that KP does. And, you know, you get the, the picks and all that. I mean, the best part of that for me was just getting rid of Tim Hardaway because I was never a fan of that contract or him as a player. But still, right. like, this wasn't you what we stand. had in mind. We didn't have in mind get trade assets. We we had in mind, I, I hate tanking. Our mm-hmm. lives could end tomorrow. I want to see my team win. It's been 20 years yeah, since they were I, I want to see them win. So I'm, I'm, I'm tired of the assets. I'm tired of the trade. Like, I want to see them win. And uh, right. I don't think they did much to help improve. Now, I like the fact that they've got a chip on their shoulder and the underdogs and all that. What is that going to lead to? 20 wins instead of 17? Big deal. <laughs> yeah. Okay, going to the Knicks' crosstown rivals, the Nets. Yeah. Will the Nets – I've made some bold predictions about the Nets <laughs> on this podcast. Will the Nets make the playoffs next year? What? Yeah, of course they right. will. That's what I say. He always asks that question, and I'm just – I'm so confused. Of course they will. Now, here's the thing. There are questions – Let me break it down. Okay, go ahead. Okay, before you, you know, dig into me, 
So you look at the Eastern Conference from last year. You look at the Bucks; they're clearly the best team in the East. You look at the Sixers, the the Celtics, they're all locks to make the playoffs. You look at the Pacers, who are really, really good. So those are the four best teams in the East. You look at the Nets roster. They replaced D'Angelo Russell, who had great chemistry with their entire unit, right, right. and replaced him with Kyrie Irving, who is somewhat of an unknown leading the team. Right. Obviously, they added Kevin Durant for the future, but Kevin Durant will not play a game next season. Correct. Okay. So you have those teams. Then you have the Raptors, who were 17-5 and without Kawhi Leonard, and who still have the pieces to, you know, make, make the, at least make the playoffs. Correct. You look at the Magic. The Magic brought everybody back. They have a very young core, Jonathan Isaac, Mo Bamba, Aaron Gordon, lots of other good young players. You look at them, you expect them to be back in the playoffs, honestly. Then you look at the Bulls yeah. with all of their young pieces, Laurie Markkinen, okay, Wendell Carter now Jr. You're, now you're stretching White. a little bit. Now you're reaching with the Bulls. The Bulls have a better chance of making it than the Nets? The, the Bulls were much better under Jim Boylan. They got off to a horrible start in the beginning. Terrible. Okay. They were horrible under Fred Hoiberg. But under Jim Boylan, they were much better in their, like, in their last you know, stretch. And also, you know, Wendell Carter was out last year. Laurie Markkinen is a really good player. He's going to his third him. year. He should make a big jump. And then Zach Levine, really, whether the Bulls make the playoffs or not, in my opinion, will depend on if, um, if Zach Levine becomes a leader and actually starts playing defense. I mean, I, I'm a Bulls fan. I'm a, I'm a diehard Bulls fan. So obviously I can attest and you know, I love the core that they have, but I think he's he's being really idiotic. I think Kyrie Irving, I think, yeah, people can talk about how he could be – he was a cancer in the Boston locker room and all that. But having DeAndre Jordan, Kevin Durant, all these veterans around him, I think that will you know keep him sane. And Kyrie Irving is Kyrie Irving. And I think the Nets are 100% making the playoffs. <laughs> and they have a great core and great young assets in Karis LeVert, um, Spencer Dinwiddie off the bench. I think they're still great. In my opinion, you cannot say definitively that the Nets will make the playoffs because you look at those six teams that I named, and then you also look at the Bulls, who possibly are on the outside. Get out of here with the Bulls! What do you? You you cannot possibly think that the Bulls have a better chance than the Nets, even without Kyrie. I mean, (laughs) in my opinion, you look at the Nets roster. Kenny Atkinson is one of the best coaches in the league, um, and he's a big part of their success as well. And like you said, nice young core, um, guys who have made the playoffs last year. I couldn't agree more about the D'Angelo Russell thing. They had phenomenal chemistry, but they've got a good team. Uh, the Bulls are just a little too young. They've got a, a nice little you know, collection of parts, but do they have an actual team? By the way, the team that you didn't mention that's a dark horse is the Hawks. That I, I, I was going to say that. I was going to say that later. And also the Heat adding Jimmy Butler yeah. with their – Guys, you know, Justice Winslow stepped in. Yeah, but Whiteside really didn't play a big role. They had Bam Adebayo filling in for him, and Whiteside wasn't very good last year. So they did lose him. But you also look at Justice Winslow stepping in at point guard towards the end of the season and then playing much better because of it. And then the Hawks, like, they have a lot of good young players. John Collins is a stud as a center. Trey Young is a baller. Yeah, DeAndre Hunter. DeAndre Hunter? So... I can't say that they will definitely make the playoffs. You have to put some, throw some caution to the wind about whether they will make the playoffs solely because 
of the fact that they had a negative point differential last year. So you talk about how good they were and how good of a coach Kenny Atkinson is, but they have not once had a positive point differential last year. So that illustrates some element of luck involved. And and then you look at Kevin Durant being injured. So I'm going to stop talking. I'm going to let you, you know, give your opinion. Let's go. I understand what you're saying about Kyrie Irving and replacing uh, D'Angelo with a guy who obviously had a tough year, who's been accused of not being a good teammate. But to me, they have a really good nucleus. They've got good young players who have now tasted the playoffs. I love their head coach, Kenny Atkinson. I wish the Knicks kept Kenny Atkinson. Um, and I don't think that the question is necessarily, will they make the playoffs? It's okay. Are they a contender with Kyrie? Uh, Kyrie is a better point guard than D'Angelo, but I love D'Angelo Russell. Like the way he's turned around his career, or at least come into his own. I was praying that the Knicks picked him up again. I, I hate for this to always come back to the Knicks, but once it was very clear that the, uh, the Nets were going to move on and, and go with, with Kyrie, I would have loved to have him. I have many questions about how he's going to fit when, with the with the Warriors, but um, no, nah, I don't. I don't think I, I would be very surprised if the Nets don't make the playoffs with Kyrie. I mean, since you know, since the like with look, no, he's there's no way. There's just no way. Right. But talking about the Warriors, do you think they still have enough to you know contend for a championship? Uh, it 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 it's tough because again. You, there's little things, intangibles, like they've been there before, um, they're coaching, things like that. Yeah, but they're obviously not as good of a team. And the big question is, when does Clay Thompson come back? Um, right. Does he come back in May, excuse me, in, in March, April? Is that enough time to get going? You know, gun to my head, I don't think they make the finals again. Um, but Steph is so good and uh, played very well without KD. Uh, D'Angelo, it's going to be interesting to see how he plays. They they got Draymond Green back. That's good. They don't have Andre Iguodala, who was a big part of uh, you know their success. So I think it's going to be really interesting. Um, they don't have a very strong bench. Um, so I, I like I saw Bobby Marks uh, on ESPN say that he thinks that they may not make the playoffs. I don't. Again, I don't think that's going to happen. But yeah, I do that's, think that's I do think they're not as good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so we asked our fans to ask some questions for this, you know, highly anticipated, uh, interview. So one that we really liked was how successful do the Clippers have to be for Kawhi and Paul George to stay for more than two years? Uh, I mean, I think they're going to be successful regardless. Like, I don't, again, like, I don't think that's going to be a problem for them because I really, they were, you know, they, they kind of in, in a, in a way, reminded me of the Raptors in the sense that like they had this like young youngish scrappy team I don't I don't even think young is the right way of saying it but like sort of this overlooked scrappy team but they were just missing that one guy to get them over the hump um and now they got two of those guys that will get them over the hump and two guys who play well you know with others who are good leaders who are winners um I think that I I mean I think they're the favorites to make it to the finals, honestly, out of the West. Um, and, and for me, like, I think I don't know Kawhi well, but from everything that I've heard towards the end, he really started to like Canada. He didn't like Toronto very much in the beginning, the weather, all that. But of course, the love that they showed him, the organization, mm-hmm. the success, I think for him to make this move, he wasn't making it just to leave again in a couple of years. I think going home was really important to him. And 
we heard that about Paul George. He ended up resigning with OKC, and that obviously didn't work out. But Kawhi is pretty much like that's always been the story about him that he wanted to go back home. Um, I never believed for a second that he was going to go to the Lakers. Just not the kind of guy that he is. Um, right. He doesn't want to be a part of that circus. Like the Clippers just kind of represent everything that he's about. Um, and they have a great management team as well. Their front office is phenomenal, and they have someone like Jerry West who everyone respects. So um, I, I don't think. A, if you ask me right now who's my favorite to come out of the West, it's the Clippers, and I don't think they need to be worried about him just leaving in a couple of years. Okay, so given that the NBA has become extremely player-driven, do you think the fact that it's now a completely player-driven league as opposed to the other four major sports, does this spell trouble or sustainability? I think it's good that the players have you know, some – uh, some power or a lot more power than, than they once did or more power than um, players in other sports have. Uh, I think sometimes there's a, there's a double standard in the sense that like, you know, a team will just go out and trade someone like what happened with the Raptors, right? DeMar DeRozan was incredibly mm-hmm. loyal to the team and they go and trade him. Um, however, when someone like say Anthony Davis wants out, yeah, he's right, viewed as right. a bad guy, right? So I think it's good that there's been a bit of a balance. Uh, I do think this will lead to trouble, though, because you're talking about very, very rich men who own these teams who don't like to be told what to do and don't like to have other people tell them, you know, you're going to send me here for this, that, and the other. So I think this will lead to some labor issues in the not-too-distant future because yeah. of the fact that the pendulum is 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 swinging so much in the favor of, of the players. Like, what's happening now, like, Oh, Russell wants out and he wants to play with Houston. Oh, look at that. He's going exactly. to Houston. You know, it's, it's crazy. Just, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Um, and he's I mean, under contract. He's under contract. Right. Inherently, they're just going against their contract. But yeah. Like the contracts don't mean as much as, as they once did. Like, well, if you were locked in, you were locked in. And, but there's right. a part of me, like, as an older person, you know, if I don't want to work somewhere or if I don't want to live somewhere, like, I should be able to, decide where I want to be. So there's a part of me that's like, yeah, good for them. You know, they, they should be able to, to do this, but there has to be some kind of a happy medium. Um, and I think that, okay, so now we, we like, we, we, we've gotten over the era of the super team where it was like, you know, the three guys coming together. And now I think there's a little more parity, which is good. Um, and it's fun that we're going into the season, you know, without knowing that the Warriors are going to be in the finals. And it's, you know, for the last right. few years before that, it was Warriors cast. But I do think once the, 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 the deal is up there, the, the, the owners are going to be like, nah, there's, there's, there's no way that we could keep letting these guys dictate where they're going to go. Right. That's yeah. True. Also, I often speak to the fact that these players, they take rest days now. Like they decide whether they want to play or not. And ultimately all sports is entertainment. You're in the entertainment business. So is it really fair for the players or is it really fair for the fans to go spend hundreds of their hard-earned dollars to like not see LeBron James, not see these players? So I think that'll yeah. come up like in a major way in their next labor negotiations because either they shorten the season and yeah. there's no excuse for these guys to get rest days so that it's a better product for the fans or they don't get paid for the days that they miss. 
Yeah, that's going to be rest. really interesting. That's going to be really interesting. The, the the worst thing to happen to that argument is the Raptors winning, right? Because look what, what they did with Kawhi, and it ended up paying right. off big time. Right. So every team will be like, oh, you don't like it? Well, we'll see you in June. Um, but, yeah, th- there's no doubt about that. I mean, it sucks. You, you, you come to a town once a year, and the stars aren't playing. That's a real blow to the – to the sport, to the fan base. And I, I have a lot of respect for Adam Silver. I think he's the best commissioner in sports by far. I don't think there's anyone even close to him. And I think he has yeah. the respect of the players. And I, I think that these are just sort of ups and downs that, you know, every sport, every league go through. And I think they'll be able to figure that out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I agree. I think, I think also if we're, if I'm taking the other side, like they're not really, they're not toys and, you know, they they have bodies and they have needs and if they have to rest, like that will further um, help the appreciation of the NBA sure. and the revenue and everything. But yeah. if they're not injured, they should be playing, and that's just a fact. Sure, but there, I mean, I guess there's 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 got to be a reason for it. Of course, it can't just be like I'm tired today. Um, now sometimes you know it's a back to back and the guys coming. Game. It's Ooh, maintenance it's, games. Like these guys, yeah. these guys are sore. Like they're sore, okay, but it's basically to preserve their bodies for the playoffs. So the question is, how can we get to the point for the fans' sake where do we extend the season, you know, in terms of making it from August until May or something like that? Do we go into that manner where we still keep 82 games no, but space them out and have no back-to-backs? Less, less no. Or do you have less games where there's less revenue produced? Well, that's what it's thing. better yeah. for the fans. Yeah, it's it's uh, there's there's really no right answer, but honestly, and it's easier said than I mean, it's easy for me to say because I'm not paying for the tickets for that particular game. But like, if someone's banged up, someone's sore, I'm not. I can't really hate on it, especially if I'm a fan of the team. Um, big picture, yeah, I don't mind if you skip the March game against the Grizzlies. Now, I definitely feel for the family of five that bought tickets in Memphis for it someone's someone's always going to get screwed in in that scenario um but you know it's 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 kind of a new thing like the the, the nba survived since 1946 um without this issue and so i have a feeling that they'll be able to to figure it out but again look what happened with the raptors and look how successful they were and look how Kawhi played and also by the way seeing banged up towards the end um right. so these these injuries can happen at any point I guess the, the 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 teams just want you to look at the big picture and say like June May a lot more important than February March. Right. No. Yeah, I agree. Okay. So getting back to MMA, compared to the four major sports, you know, basketball, baseball, football, and uh, soccer, what hockey. is or and hockey? But I'm you know I'm a big soccer fan. Okay, you know, whatever. Okay. Sorry. But where does the MMA stack up? Based on success, revenue, and sustainability, like how is the? I know the MMA has grown a ton, but like, given that we are overall sports fans, we'd love to hear more about how the MMA has grown. Yeah, I mean, it's it's nowhere near those sports. I mean, um, the UFC, which is like the 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 predominant um, organization in the sport, um, they're they're just 26 years old. Uh, it was founded in 1993. So, I mean, think about that. That's, that's not that long ago. They're still in the embryonic stages. I like to compare where the UFC is right now to, um, when, when, when football players were playing with leather helmets, 
you know, in the, in the 30s. So there's a lot more to go. There's a lot more room to grow. There's a lot more evolution that needs to happen. Uh, and they're, they're nowhere near basketball, baseball, football, hockey, soccer, NASCAR. Um, those sports are just a lot more mainstream. And there's always going to be a sector of society that just doesn't like the idea of two people fighting each other. And there's always going to be a sector of society that doesn't like the idea of two people fighting each other in a cage. Um, it's just not everyone's <laughs> cup of tea, you know, and I, and I get that. And so there was this big push a few years ago, let's make the sport as mainstream as possible. And let's, you know, get bigger than the NFL and all that. And it's just never going to happen. It will never happen that mixed martial arts is bigger than the NFL or the NBA. It's just not going to happen, but it has certainly come a long way. I never thought that it would be on ESPN. Um, there was a time that it was never even on cable TV. It was only on pay-per-view. And that was not that long right. ago. That was like 15 years ago. So it's come a long way. It's a lot more uh, popular. It's a lot more mainstream. There's mainstream stars that have come out of the sport like Conor McGregor and Ronda mm -hmm. Rousey. But there's still a long ways to go um, before they're even dreaming of being in the conversation with those sports. It's it's doing well. The The company was sold in 2016. For 4.025 billion, which I think is an absurd number. Yeah. Like, like the 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 Rockets were sold for 3.75. I would much rather own the Rockets than the UFC. Um, <laughs> I, I, I couldn't believe that they sold for that number. But goes to show, you know, just how successful the the sport is these days. And the problem is, they're they're a major injury or, God forbid, a death away from a lot of things changing. And there's never been a major injury or a death in the UFC. Uh, there were actually two deaths in boxing not that long ago, but we, we've we've not seen that yeah. in uh, in the UFC thus far. And I know that once that happens, everyone's going to come out of the woodwork, and it's going to be a tough blow to the sport. But for now, they've been able to uh, to dodge those those tragedies, thankfully. Um, but you know, it can grow. I don't think it will ever grow to the level of the leagues and sports that you just mentioned. Does it ever wane on your moral like your moral compass? given that you're covering a sport that is so brutal. I mean, football, you could argue, is yeah. more equally as brutal. Yeah. But does it ever wane on you, given that, like, basketball is I, – I see you're super passionate about basketball, and you do cover basketball, you know, on the side. But does it ever, you know, cross your mind? Yeah, well, you know, I'll say this. At, at least combat sports, and in this case we're talking about mixed martial arts, at least they're a little more honest about who they are than say football because i think football is is violence disguised in the premise of oh let's get this ball over the line but really it's right. just as brutal and we've seen people paralyzed i mean we've seen horrific things in in the nfl so in in mixed martial arts you know what the premise is the premise is to beat your opponent by you know beating them up damage submitting them choking them knocking them out referee stopping the fight um, or, you know, you go the distance and the judges uh, score it. Um, and I, I appreciate that. I, I, I actually have a hard time, believe it or not, watching the NFL. I think the NFL is, is at times way more um, difficult to watch than, than mixed martial arts right. because I know exactly what I'm yeah. watching. That being said, uh, yeah, there are times where I'm like, you know, when you, look, you take a step back. I've become immune and numb to a lot of it. I, I see these crazy knockouts. And I'm like, oh, great knockout. And you kind of move on to the next. But then when you see people die, um, you ask yourself, like, okay, like, what, what exactly are we doing here? Um, and it, a big part of the, the sport is weight cutting. There's weight classes and people have to weigh in and 
hit a certain number. And we've seen some scary moments, people who are dehydrated, who are completely out of sorts, who have fallen and hit their heads. And you're thinking to yourself, like, what exactly are we doing here? What is the point in all of this? Um, but right. I do think it's a fascinating wow. sport to cover. It's uh, like I said, it's in a very young stage. So with that comes a lot of interesting stories to cover. Um, I think the fighters look all, all the, at this point, the fights for me, like I could take him or leave him. Honestly, like I, I've seen a gazillion fights and there's a gazillion coming up that I'm going to watch and it's, I enjoy it. Make no mistake about it, but they're just kind of all there now. The fighters to me are the most interesting athletes um in in the sports world like i i love the oh, nba yeah. the, i i hear the way they speak to the media it's all cliche it's all boring stuff right. fighters are so open authentic colorful honest it's they're just amazing human beings to cover and that's why i really enjoy covering the sport so much well i saw you recently you have an espn special on e60 coming up on daniel cormier yes where you're uh, you're playing video games with them and stuff like that, and then I also saw you, uh, a very entertaining fighter that you under uh, that you interviewed, Colby Covington. I had no idea oh, about yes. MMA. I know about Daniel Cormier, but I didn't know about Colby Colby Covington. So, I mean, yes. well, there you go. About them. Those those two guys. I mean, Cormier is just like salt of the earth, incredible human being, and he's been through a lot. And um, I, I I urge you to watch the sixty piece. It premieres this Sunday. On, uh, on ESPN at 9 a.m. Um, he's just been through an incredible amount of stuff and uh, it's amazing that he is where he is. Um, but then you have like characters like Colby Covington who's walking around with a Make America Great Again hat and who's who's <laughs> in the Oval Office. Like, And he's very pro wrestling. Like, There's a lot of elements um, of pro wrestling in mixed martial arts and he's tapping into a story that's obviously very divisive and um, a lot of people are very passionate about it. And uh, he's trying to tap into that. So he's trying to play the heel, the bad guy. The heel is a, is a pro wrestling term where you have the baby face, the good guy, and the heel. And he's clearly trying to play the heel. And it's working. And he's probably going to get a title shot next. So, like, the characters like that, I mean, in what other sport would you be interviewing an athlete and they're wearing that hat or talking like, right. you know, Conor McGregor does and things like that? It's just, it's just always very entertaining and fun talking to these people. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, we saw that in the NFL. And... Colin Kaepernick, and now he's not off the team. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, the, the 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 world of combat sports is kind of like the circus, and um, I'm not I'm not uh, you know I'm not I'm not naive. I I know exactly what it is. It's the fight game, and the fight game at times can be a little crazy. And uh, there's some characters that come from different places who have different kinds of personalities, and um, you know it's just not as corporate and buttoned up as the major sports. But as a journalist, that's what really makes it a lot of fun to cover. Okay, so last question. Given that recently there was news about Jerry Colangelo, the head of USA Basketball, rejecting Carmelo Anthony's request to play in the FIBA World Cup, the World Championships, should Carmelo Anthony be on an NBA roster right now? Yes. Um, I'm a big Carmelo Anthony fan. Uh, I went to Syracuse. I was there when he won in uh, 2003. Oh, wow. And you're yes. a Knicks fan. And, uh, yes, exactly. So I was very excited when he got there, and, and I've always defended him. Uh, that being said, it's hard to defend the latter portion of his career because I do think that every player towards the end of their career needs to accept the fact that they're no longer the man. 
They need to be able to come off the bench. They need to be a team player. They need to be a mentor. It's not 2004 anymore. And I think Dwayne Wade did a great job of this towards the end of his career. He was willing to accept any role. And we've seen other uh, great athletes do that. Carmelo has not been eager to do that. And as such, he has been branded as, you know, not a team player. And, you know, he has had non-team player tendencies throughout his career, uh, ball stopper, et cetera. But people were willing to overlook it because he was so talented. He could score the ball. He could rebound the ball. And, uh, you know, for the most part, he was he was able to, you know, the, the Nuggets teams were, you know, they had a nice little run one year. They went to the conference final. He was able to turn the Knicks around slowly in 2012, 2013. And then, of course, the latter portion of his Knicks run was a complete disaster. But I don't think it was necessarily his fault. Um, the Jeremy mm-hmm. Lin situation didn't help. That all being said, you can't tell me looking at the entire league that, you know, there, 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 there isn't a 15-man roster out there that can't use Carmelo Anthony. Um, right. I was gonna say. I was gonna say. There's no. There's no way 150 players in the world are better than Carmelo Anthony. There's exactly. No way. Um, and even yeah, USA basketball with all the players that they've lost out on. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Let's uh, get like, math right. Aaron goes to Tulane. Like, please. No, I know. I'm. I'm horrible at it as well. But like, Marcus Smart. Like, come on. Uh, there's. There. He would. He would be able to help. Look at Vince Carter. Vince Carter has been able to right, evolve. Yeah. He's accepted a role. He's not the man anymore. Um, somewhat comparable career, you know, in terms of their impacts and whatnot. And, and, you know, he's been able to, uh, to have this amazing longevity. So I just wish he accepted the new reality a lot sooner. The fact that he's talking now and coming across as sympathetic leads me to believe that he has realized that, you know, it's probably it's probably time to uh, accept that he's not going to be the man and to accept an opportunity off the bench. So I like the fact that he, you know, because he kind of just left Houston and disappeared. You would see him here and there, but like never actually opened up and spoke. And so I'm, ho- it's very strategic what he's doing. It's August. Teams are finalizing their rosters. He wants to jump on a team. It's very obvious that, you know, he's getting a little nervous. But Carmelo Anthony should not end his career like this. It's very sad to see that he can't get anywhere. And um, I'm hoping that there's a team out there that gives him an opportunity and that he is able to show everyone that he can accept this new role because I think he can still help a team score, you know, he can, scoring like, you know, 12 points a game and getting four rebounds. Like there's a team that could use that. I think so. That's true. I agree. There is a team that could use it, but given the baggage that could come with it, the media circus and stuff like that, that he's kind of created. I don't think he's done himself that many favors by being so public about the fact that he should be on an NBA roster. I don't I mean, know. Like, I feel like it would have been better and he would have been able to be on a team, you know, more quickly. A team would have been more willing to accept the fact that he is sincere about his apology and doesn't really want the spotlight. If he had instead spoken privately with these teams, said, you know, I promise to be a different player. I've been working on my three-point shot because he didn't shoot the ball well from three last year. So he shot 33% from three. And that's I mean, really game, his role he now. Like 10 games. He played like 10 right, games. Yeah, he played like 10 games. He only played 10 games. That's true. It's, it's the tough. thing that bothers me a little bit Yeah, is um, I feel like the one team that has an open spot and makes the most sense is the Lakers. But yeah. LeBron clearly rules that team. And if he wanted Melo on that team, he would already be on that team. Yeah, dude, they're banana bo- they're banana boat buddies. <laughs> yeah. Like, what is going on? I'm, I'm right, actually so shocked. I, I'm shocked that he's not on the Lakers because 
Uh, I, I agree with you. I think he can actually help them and uh, would be a nice piece and would all and, and would fall in line. Like, I don't think he would. It's very clear who the man is on that team. And it's very clear who the number two guy is on that team. Like there, there would be no bones about that. And um, I, I'm not ruling I, it out. I wouldn't be surprised. But yeah, I'm, I'm very surprised that right now he's not on that team. Right. And I feel like if he was going to be on the team, he would be right now. And that's what puts it in question. I don't know what other team would kind of take the chance on him. That's all. I think someone will. Um, yeah. I th- it would be very sad if not. Okay. So thank you so much, folks, for listening to our conversation, our interview with Ariel Helwani. He was an incredible, incredible guest. He has so much knowledge on a plethora of different sports, and we really appreciate him coming on. So we will be back here on Monday with a new episode. Thank you so much for listening, guys. Thank you, Ariel. Thanks, guys. My pleasure. Thank you for having me, and and good luck to you, and keep in touch. Of course. Thank you. Once again, the Sixth Man Podcast is presented by ProVelocityBat.com. The ProVelocity Bat is the best hitting tool on the market. It will help you hit for more power and improve your batting average as well. The MLB is already clamoring for this product. With current and former players using the Pro Velocity Bat every single day. Don't miss out. Go to ProVelocityBat.com today.